listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Let's jump into this today. I want to give you... Uh, as we're preparing uh, for this upcoming year, we're closing out this year in strength. I want to give you um, five things from the life of Christ. Now, five decisions that Jesus made. You know, I don't want to say like, uh, obviously, we know he was the son of God, right? So people say like, well, you know, the only reason he was so great is because he was the son of God. Well, yes, he was the son of God. But I also want to show you that there were decisions that Jesus made that brought about the supernatural lifestyle that he was living. And I do want to also show you that uh, if those choices are not in place, then it robs you, listen, not of your supernatural nature, but of your ability to see supernatural things come to pass. And so... Uh, Good morning, everybody. As you're logging on, take a minute to share it. But listen, Jesus made choices. You know, for example, I could tell you that if all people want to do is just point at him and say, well, he was just the son of God. That's it. He was the son of God. And that's why he was supernatural. Well, if that's true, then why was it that when in times when the disciples who were not the son of God In a time when the disciples failed in certain aspects of their ministry or mission, when they were with Jesus, why would Jesus have the right to rebuke them for their failure or their lack of faith if he was the only one that could do those types of things because he was the son of God, right? So let me give you a couple of examples. What about when they're on the ship and Jesus says, let us pass over to the other side? And then he goes to the back of the ship, lays his head on a pillow and goes to sleep. And then the storm arises and they become afraid and they think they're going to die. And so they wake him up. Right. And so it's like he gets up and then rebukes them for their lack of faith. And then he calms the storm, speaks to the wind, rebukes it, calms the waves. Why would he rebuke them? Instead of just saying, I know you guys couldn't handle this on your own, but you know, luckily you had the son of God in the boat with you. No, he rebuked them. He rebuked them because it wasn't just about the fact that he was the son of God. It was these other, because here's what you have to remember about Jesus. Jesus was the prototype man for the new Testament believer. Please put that in the comments if you're watching. Jesus was the prototype man for the New Testament believer. Jesus was the prototype man for the New Testament believer. And so what he was trying to show us was the example of what it looks like to live supernaturally in a New Testament setting, right? He was expecting them to do what he taught them to do. Good morning, Uchenna. He was expecting them to do what he showed them how to do. 
He was the prototype. There had never been one like him before. He was the prototype. Since the, uh, the, since the beginning when Adam was formed and before Adam fell, there had never been one like him. That's why the Bible calls him the last Adam. There was the first Adam and the last Adam. Two supernatural men created by God without sin. And so uh, it wasn't just about that. He was showing them how to function in the world as a New Testament, new creation reality style believer. And so he made decisions. He made choices. And I'm going to cover five of those with you today that are going to help you to see because every one of these choices you need and I need to mimic them in order to live this supernatural life we're called to live. And um, by the way, I will say right off the bat that, um, which is not one of the ones that I'm going to cover uh, because it's, again, it's foundational. It's the baseline, but you can't get away from holiness as the baseline, the foundation for anything good God does in your life. Holiness is the key. The Bible says the psalmist wrote Psalm 84 and verse 11. The Bible says that God will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly, right? Psalm one is a description of people who will not stand around with sinners, join in with mockers, but they delight themselves in the law of the Lord, meditating upon it day and night. They'll be like trees planted by streams of water. The Bible says that uh, they'll produce fruit or bear fruit in every season, that their leaves will never wither, and that they'll prosper in all that they do. What's that linked to? Holiness. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. What is that? Holiness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added unto you. What is that? Holiness. Uh, you can go right through uh, the Old and New Testament and understand that it is obedience to God's word. That's what holiness is. Obedience to God's word that brings you into supernatural living. That's the, that's the foundational baseline that everybody should uh, catch right off the bat. And so we know Jesus did that. He never sinned. No guile was found in his mouth. He was perfectly united with the Father in heaven. In fact, did you know that the Bible says in Hebrews uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. Now listen to this phrasing. I love this. And he is the exact imprint of God's nature. That's Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature on the earth. So that leads me into the first thing that I want you to um, put in the comments. This is number one of the five. Number one, the choice that Jesus made was the choice of identity. The choice of identity. Um, you know, you could argue this, I'm sure. There were certain things that Jesus gave up when he came to the earth. For example, certain godlike qualities that he gave up in order to uh, come in the form of a man. I'll give you an example of that. Omniscience. Jesus didn't know everything 
while he was on the earth as a man. He didn't know everything. There were things that Jesus did not know. In fact, his disciples asked him a question uh, and Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. These things are only known by my father in heaven. So there were things that Jesus did not know. In fact, when he was young, the Bible records in the gospel of Luke that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. So that means that there was a time where Jesus didn't have certain wisdom. So part of that omniscience, the all-knowing God, he gave up some of those uh, supernatural attributes in order to, be, to come in the form of a man to be just like you and me, to show us that I can come in the form of flesh and be a natural man, while at the same time being the son of God, and live life in that way and show you that it's possible to live life this way. He was the imprint of God's nature, but he was also our example. So he makes, uh, we're gonna deal with that Dennis in a moment, so stick close. He makes the argument here that in, in, in the gospel of John chapter 14 and verse nine, Jesus makes the argument, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's the gospel of John chapter 14 and verse nine. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. In another passage, he said, I and the father are one, right? I and the father are one. So Jesus knew about his connection with the heavenly father. But again, if he's increasing in wisdom and stature, do you know what that means? He had to actually read the prophecies of scripture for himself and begin to discover who he was. Now, I'm sure there might be people that debate that, but I don't personally believe that Jesus always knew who he was in scripture. I believe that's part of his omniscience that he gave up and had to look into the scriptures and recognize through prophecy that he was who the scriptures were speaking of. Now, I'm sure his mother and his father spoke to him and told him the stories of the angel appearing and uh, all that happened, the miraculous uh, things that took place at his birth and, and, her con and the conception. But let me tell you something. I believe he had to look into this to fully, because remember, he had flesh. He had flesh that had to be crucified. You don't think the enemy ever tried to attack Jesus' mind with doubt? The Bible says he was tempted in all points, just like we are, right? So that means doubt and unbelief tried to come against the mind of Jesus Christ. But he overcame doubt and unbelief through the word of God. In fact, we know that when the devil tempted him in the wilderness, every single time he was tempted, he, re he returned the temptation with a statement. It is written. And then he would give scripture about whatever the temptation was in regards to. Well, so it was hunger. Turn these stones into bread. No, for it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. So you begin to realize Jesus had to study the word, know the word, and understand the word to begin to understand even who he was or what he was to do. 
and he would quote Old Testament passages of prophecy regarding himself. Nick says, would you say one clear example was when he went to the synagogue to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me today? Yes. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Absolutely. That's a great example because he's taking Old Testament prophecy from prophet Isaiah that was something that was prophesied about the Messiah. And then at that point, knowing who he was in identity, he can pick up the scroll of Isaiah and read that prophecy and then close it, sit down and say, today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your ears. And so he had to discover that. But notice that he never uh, stepped away from his identity with his father in heaven. The Bible goes on to say he would say nothing unless he first heard the father say it. He would do nothing unless he first saw the father do it. So Jesus was so in tune with the father, so in sync that he wouldn't even take actions on his own. Now, this is a lesson for us. It is part of our identity. The identity that we have with Christ cannot be overlooked. My wife and I were talking about this last night, and she always brings up these great conversations where we're talking about things that uh, uh, they pertain to real life. You know, we don't just, uh, we just don't sit around and talk theology for the sake of arbitrary theology. These things apply to real life situations. And we were discussing something about how children react in life how children react around their friends and how children react to their families and how we see children react in different circumstances based upon their identity, based upon what they believe to be true about themselves, based upon how their uh, makeup is formed and how as you get older, you know, you, you hear phrases that people say like, uh, um, you know, how many have ever heard the phrase, like speaking of somebody's like, well, she has daddy issues or something like that. Have you ever heard that? Ra raise a hand in the comments if you've heard something like that. Well, people already have this psychological understanding that because if somebody, you know, was not, didn't feel loved or accepted or approved of or whatever it might be, it puts a deficiency in their life. And then what you see happen is that as people get older, they begin to seek for approval from, from, you know, whatever, because of that deficiency. And, and so if you feel like there's a lack of love, if you feel like there's a lack of approval, uh, it can affect your outcome. It can affect your choices. It can affect where you go, what you do, who you are. It can actually bring you down the wrong road because you, if you're looking for approval from the wrong people, you can get into trouble in that way, in the flesh, in the soul. And so one of the things that's so important, so important for every believer is to understand their identity in Christ. Because once you understand that and become fulfilled in that, it rules out so many of those issues that people face. It can rule out loneliness and it can rule out insecurities and it rules out uh, you know, feeling unloved and all the, all these different things. When you have a full understanding of identity, who I am, insecurities, depression, anxiety, all these different things can be ruled out by proper identity. Well, how is that the case? Well, the enemy 
will say things to you about you. And the reason that I'm dealing with this right after holiness is because your mindset is everything. It is everything when it comes to living a supernatural lifestyle. You can only have what you believe to be true. I want you to write that in the comments because I can't overstate that. You can only have or experience what you believe to be true. If you don't believe it to be true, you can't have faith in that area. And if you don't have faith in that area, you can't have manifestations in that area. How could anybody receive healing from a Jesus that they do not believe is a healer? I mean, that's a perfect example. How could anybody receive healing from a Jesus that they don't believe is a healer? How could anybody receive provision from a Jesus that they don't believe is a provider? See, you can't receive what you don't believe. And so if, if you are, for example, if the enemy is telling you all these lies about yourself, you're nothing. You're a nobody. You're a failure. Everything you do is wrong. Everything you try is a mistake. You, you know, you're imperfect. You're unlovable. Whatever the enemy tries to say. If you don't know your identity, it's easy to believe those lies. See, this is where I'm going with this today because you got to catch it. This is the baseline of right after holiness, your mindset from the scripture is foundational to your supernatural lifestyle. Why would anybody, for example, why would I go and lay my hands on the sick if I did not believe they were going to recover? Think about that. Why would I ever take that step of faith if I didn't have an identity that no, he's the one who made me a new creation. He's the one who poured his spirit into me. He's the one who commanded me to lay my hands on the sick. And I'm so filled with the glory and power of God that when I do lay my hands on the sick, they're going to recover. Why would I ever attempt to lay hands on the sick if I didn't believe they were going to recover? I wouldn't even step out to do it. So your mindset of who you are makes all the difference in the world when it comes to a supernatural lifestyle. It, it never fails. Uh, after 20 years of ministry, the people that I have encountered that are lacking in this area of seeing the miracles of God or a supernatural lifestyle, when I get to talking to them, I can just, I mean, it's like comes to the top, like immediately they have wrong thinking, wrong believing on aspects, basic aspects of, of scripture. And it is their double mindedness or it's their doubt or their unbelief that keeps them out of what God said is theirs. I've seen it so many times, I can't even tell you after 20 years of active ministry. And I've seen it before I was in ministry, when I traveled with my father and when I saw these uh, in, in my family, other ministers ministry. I've seen people that miss out on the supernatural because the mindset is wrong. That's why the Bible says that we uh, can use this word. Christ used this word to wash his body, the church, clean. Ephesians chapter 5. How did he wash the body? With the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5.26. The washing of water by the word. The washing of water by the word. The enemy may have, you, you may have grown up hearing wrong things. 
You may have grown up hearing every negative report you could have heard. You know what you got to do? Wash it with the washing of water by the word. Cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Don't allow the lies of the enemy to define your life. Know who you are in Christ. You can only know by studying the word of God. You know, just in that one Ephesians passage, how powerful is that? When you just go to Ephesians 1, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about in practicality. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, and you're, you're looking at the, the description here of Christ and his body. And, and look at what Paul writes. I mean, let me break this slowly, slowly down so that we can see the power in it. He said, you've had your hearts enlightened, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you'll know the hope to which he has called you. Listen to this now. I'm now in verse 18 and 19 of Ephesians 1. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, watch, when he raised him from the dead. Now here's where it gets really, really powerful. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all. Mark that in your Bible if you've got it. Underline that phrase, far above all. I want you to mark that. Far above all. Because that matters in just a moment. It matters greatly. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Mark that one. Every name that is named. Those two areas, of course, this whole passage should be highlighted in your Bible, but these two phrases should be underlined with pen or marker far above all, and every name that is named. Both of those. Far above all, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he puts all things, glory to God, under his feet. Thank you, Jesus. And gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So did you catch that? Christ is not the feet. Christ is the head. Do you see it? It says gave him to be head over all things to the church, but he put all things under his feet. But Christ, according to this same passage, he's not the feet. He's the head. Who makes up the feet? We do. We make up the feet. We make up the legs. We make up the arms. We make up the hands. We make up the stomach and the chest. We make up the neck. We make up every other part of his body except the head. Whoo, hallelujah. We make everything else except the head. So if he's the head, but did you notice this? It doesn't say, it doesn't say, and He put all things under his head. Said, put all things under his feet. (laughs) Hallelujah. He didn't put all things under his head. He put all things under his feet. That means every name that is named, every ruler, dominion, every principality, every power in this world and that which is to come, it's not far under Jesus. 
It's far under you. Glory to God. It's far under you. Because go on to chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6, and you get the fullness of the revelation. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us. Seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Powerful. So you see it here. We were dead. We were sinners. There was nothing for us. And then he grabbed us, raised us up when he raised Christ. At the same time, raised us up when he raised Christ. And when the ascension took place, we ascended with Christ at the same time. Because we became part of his body at the resurrection. And you go up and seated him in heavenly places at his right hand. But at the same time, seated us. And if he seated us, and we're the feet, the legs, the arms, the hands... And when he put all things far, that's why I said underline far above all, Un underline far above all, underline every name that is named, because one of the revelations you got to get in this understanding is I'm not struggling. I'm not trying to get by. I'm not barely getting by. I'm not scraping the bottom of the barrel. I see my friend, Pastor Joe Spence in the comments. I'm not trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel. I'm so far above every attack of the enemy that it's not even funny. It's not even funny because God didn't put all things under Christ's head. He put all things under his feet. Glory to God. And you're the feet. I'm the feet. You say, if the devil tries to make you feel like you're such, you're the least part you're the least, but no, I don't care if you consider yourself to be the pinky toe nail of the body of Christ. If all you are is the pinky toe nail, all things are far below you as the pinky toe nail because they're under his feet. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter. They are far below you. Far below you. And who? Every name that is named. Cancer. Far below you. <sighs> COVID. Far below you. Arthritis. Far below you. Depression. Far below you. Anxiety attacks. Far below you. Suicidal thoughts. Far below you. Marital issues. Far below you. Everything that's got a name... Anything that can be named is far below you. See, this is why we've got to have this understanding of who we are in Christ. Because when we get it, let me tell you something. You start not just thinking different, you start acting different. You start acting. See, because when you begin, see, jealousy far below you. Let me give you an example. 
if you believe that you're a nobody, if you believe that you're a nothing, then you will let people talk to you like you're a nobody and like you're nothing. I've seen it a million times and I'm sure you have too. Very sad. If people have an internal belief that they're a nobody, that they're a nothing, that they're a failure, they will let people speak to them that way. They'll let people speak to them. You know, I, I, uh, I never understood this, but when I was reading one of T.L. Osborne's books, he said, um, surprisingly, that when he would go to these other third world nations and people would begin to get saved, he said, do you know what I would find is the first thing that they would recover after their salvation? It was their human dignity. That always blew my mind. That always blew my mind. T.L. Osborne said, I would watch as they get saved and they would recover first their human dignity. Why? Because it changes you. It changes you. You're not just an animal trying to make it. It changes you into a child of the king. Changes you into royalty itself. And so when you start to realize this, you've seen it, and I've seen it. If people believe they're nothing, they think they're a failure, think they're nobody, they'll let people talk to them like that. But when you know you're not, you would never allow somebody to speak to you like you're a nobody, like you're a nothing, like you're a failure, like you're an, an idiot or moron. You don't sit there and put up with people speaking to you that way. I know I don't, and I would hope you don't. I don't, I don't allow, why? Because I have a self-respect that comes from understanding who I am in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean I'm filled with pride. I'm still humble, but I will let people know right quick that, you know, we, we won't be talking. <laughs> we won't be having any conversations. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're addressing? And we'll have a real quick come to Jesus moment in that conversation if people's tone and, and what they say gets out of line. Why? Because the way you're speaking to me doesn't line up with who I am. Doesn't line up with who I am. Doesn't line up with my authority. Doesn't line up with my dominion. Doesn't line up with my identity. And so I don't receive any of it. I don't receive any of it. And people have lost the ability to talk to you if that's the way they're going to talk to you. Because I refuse, and I hope you do too, I refuse to entertain those types of relationships and those types of conversations because I will not allow. I love what Raul said. Eagles don't hang out with chickens. That's right. They fly where chickens can't get to. Places they cannot go. They soar. And so the problem is, in Jesus' name, that's it, Constance. White blood cells and platelets normalizing in Jesus' name. The healing power of Christ is working as we're teaching this. I'm just telling you. Because we understand who we are. We understand that everything is under our feet. Not just his feet. Our feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know I've spent a lot of time on this first one, but it's because it's so important. And so many people don't understand who they are in Christ. Let's go further because I'm going to give you five. Number two, what's the set? What's the second thing that Jesus had to do? Make choices 
in order to live in that supernatural lifestyle. Number one, it was his identity, but number two, he needed the Holy Ghost. And this is a question we just had in the comments. When was he empowered with the Holy Ghost? Well, we know exactly. We know down to the second when Jesus was empowered by the Holy Ghost. Because we read the story in the Gospel of Luke, and the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus went down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing in water. John answered and said, I baptize you with water, but he who's mightier, mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not willing or worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now look at this. The Bible says, Verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, if you read another passage, John didn't want to do it, but Jesus said, you've got to do it. When Jesus also had been baptized in water, look at this, and was praying, the heavens were opened. Verse 22, this is Luke 3, 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now look in, uh, look in chapter 4, verse 1. What happened to him after that? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So notice this after Jesus was baptized in water, the Holy spirit descended upon him. He was baptized in the Holy ghost as well. And the Bible says he was now full of the Holy spirit. This is why I believe it's such a demonic attack against our generation to treat the Holy spirit's baptism like a secondary, almost like some kind of a side dish that nobody really needs to have. You know, well, you know, it's not that important. Well, you know, if you want to, but you know, really what's important is salvation. And Jesus never thought of it that way. And God never thought of it that way. And the apostles never thought of it that way. And the early church never thought of it that way. In fact, the way that it was taught in the New Testament, Jesus expected all of his disciples, all of his followers, not just the 12, all of them to be endued with power from the, when the Holy Ghost came upon them. And he commanded them, think about this. He commanded them, go and wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high. He was speaking of the day of Pentecost. Go and wait in Jerusalem. Not some of you wait, not some, not I'll pick and choose which ones I want to wait. All of you wait, all of you wait till you're filled with Holy Ghost. And, and I want you to see this. For all those people that argue, well, it's not for everybody. The Holy Ghost isn't for everybody. The baptism of the Holy Spirit's not for everybody. Speaking in tongues isn't for everybody. I would point out to you in the narrative that every single person in all of the uh, stories that we have in the book of Acts, four passages, five if you want to count ones that where it's not specifically named, all the people that were there waiting 
received the Holy Spirit's baptism. Every single one. In Acts 2, in the upper room, all 120 who were waiting for it got it. There wasn't a segment that didn't receive it while the majority did. All of them got it. When they gathered together in the house again, in Acts chapter 4, for a refilling, when the house shook, everyone in the house was filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip preached in Samaria and the whole place got saved, Peter and John came from Jerusalem. What did they do? Laid their hands on every new believer. And guess what? The Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Whoo! How many? All of them were. All of them were. When Peter went to Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10 and began to preach Christ to them, what a revelation. Gentiles can get this too. And as he's preaching, as he's preaching, they didn't all just get converted. The whole house got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Every one there. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul was in Ephesus, meets 12 men, gets them saved, and then lays his hands upon them, all 12 got baptized in the Holy Ghost. In every story we have, every person that's there to receive gets it. Shows you the will of God. There's never, it's never segmented. It's never segmented. And so the, the decision Jesus made to not only be filled with the Holy Ghost, but to be led by the Spirit, but to command his followers to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're going to have a supernatural lifestyle, good luck having it without the Holy Ghost. Good luck having it without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody that has shaken the world, shaken the world, did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did so by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's amazing. Number three. I know I took a lot of time on the first one. Number one, your identity. Number two, the Holy Ghost. Number three, look at the thing that the Holy Ghost first led Jesus to do. He was led into the wilderness to do what? Fast and pray. To fast and to pray. There's people reaching to turn this off as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, catch this now. Fasting and prayer are the elements that Jesus told his disciples would bring about success in every spiritual endeavor. He said, there's even demons that won't come out if you're not fasting and praying. Mark chapter nine, verse 29. There's demons. There's levels of spiritual power that you deal with. And fasting and prayer ensures that whatever level you're dealing with, it will be immediately subservient to your spiritual authority. That's what Jesus taught that. Jesus taught that. And by the way, as we're, as we're on this right now, beginning January the 2nd through January the 22nd, uh, we're going to be doing our uh, corporate miracle word fast at the beginning of the year, 21 days of fasting and prayer from the 2nd of January to the 22nd of January and uh, it's going to be great. I'm very, very excited about it. And I'm looking forward to what God's going to do as a result of it. Also working on uh, some resources for you guys 
uh, for the New Year fast that we're going to have available to you by the time uh, we start. Of course, this year we released the book, Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting, before our fast this year. But I'm very much looking forward to it because 2022 is our year of divine possession. You better just get it in your spirit and get ready for it. But isn't it interesting to you? Doesn't this blow your mind that the very first thing Jesus did and was led to do before anything else, after his Holy Ghost baptism, was to fast and pray? It wasn't to preach. It wasn't to heal the sick. It wasn't to cast out devils. It wasn't to raise the dead. It was to fast and pray. Because fasting and prayer prepares you for what you're going to do for the Lord. And so Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. We're going to fast and pray at the beginning of the year. We're going to get ourselves prepared and in position for what God is going to do with us in this upcoming year, which is going to be unprecedented. It's going to be a banner year by the power of God. I'm just telling you, it's going to be a banner, banner year. I'm very much looking forward to it. So he knew his identity. He knew that uh, not just who he was, but that he had to have the substance of heaven dwelling in him. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the fuel for the supernatural. Number three, he fasted and prayed, fasted and prayed. But number four, he stayed on his purpose. I need you to get this. So, so good. He stayed on his purpose. If the devil can't, now listen, the devil knows that he cannot stop your purpose. He's got no authority to do so. So what does he try to do? Discourage you into stopping your purpose by yourself. To quit before you get your breakthrough. To, to just lay it down. Well, I guess this isn't going to work. I guess, and this is the trap. Catch this now. He's a liar and he tries to discourage you. Tries to stop you. Jesus stayed on his purpose. You know, even in a time where his flesh wanted to hear some of those things. Peter, uh, you'll never, I'll never let you be taken. I'll never let you be crucified. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't even know why I've come here. You have no idea why I've come. Even in the garden, think how hard this prayer would be to pray. Lord, is there any other way for this work to get done? Is there any way to let this cup pass from before me? <laughs> if not, though, if not, let your will be done. Think about the kind of difficulty to pray that prayer of consecration. Lord, I know I'm supposed to be tortured and beaten beyond recognition. I know I'm supposed to be whipped until my back is in pieces. I know I'm supposed to be crucified. But if there's any other way for redemption to take place, let, it, let that be the way. But if not... But if not, let your will be done. Think about the power of staying on that purpose. Think about the life change. <laughs> I mean, universal change from the purpose of one man, the son of God, to give his life. And the devil tries to do the same to you, tries to get you to quit on what God's called you to do. Be discouraged. And to just lay it down and go do something else. Why? Because he knows he can't stop you. He's got no authority to stop you. So he discourages and he lies and he sends people to, to mock you and he sends people to tell you, well, I, I don't know if I'd do that. 
And he sends people to try to put fear in your heart. Well, you know, brother, that's not really the right time to do that. Have you seen what's happening in the economy? Have you seen what's happening in the government, the culture? I don't know if it's really wise to do. I, I don't know if I would do that if I were. And always will send people to speak negatively. You know, God, not just, it's not just God that uses people. The devil will use people. God will use people to bless you. The devil will send people to hinder you. And you've got to be discerning. You've got to be discerning about which one is which. You've got to be discerning about which one is which. Jesus sends people to help you and bless you. The devil sends people to hinder you. And you've got to be discerning. Because there are people that that is why they have come. They may not even know it. That's what's the crazy thing. They may not even know it. They're just being used by the enemy and they don't even know because that's how thin they are. Insane. And so you got to stay on your purpose. You got to know. See, this is why I put the Holy Spirit and identity first before purpose. Because if you don't have the Holy Ghost and if you're not in a place where you know who you are in Christ, good luck trying to follow your purpose until Jesus comes. You can't even be led by the spirit properly. You don't know the voice of the spirit. It's, it's, it's insane. And so as you are moving forward into what you're called to do, every step has to be spirit led. I talked to Carolyn about it last night. Every step of everything we do has to be led by the spirit. We cannot just flippantly do things, make decisions, we got to do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do in every situation. I have no desire to do things on my own. I want to do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. No question. I want to do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. I'm sure you do as well. So number one, your identity has to be in place. Number two, the Holy Ghost has to be in place. Number three, Fasting and prayer has to be in place. Number four, your purpose has to be in place. Notice these are all choices. These are all choices Jesus made. All of them. He didn't automatically increase in wisdom and stature. He had to take that time to press in. Like all Jewish young men did back then. They were trained. They were taught. And he was so advanced by 12 years old, he could stump the men in the temple with his questions. It means he was going after it. He was going after it. Jesus made the choice to be yielded to the Spirit of God. He made the choice to fast and pray. He made the choice to stay on his purpose. But then finally, I've got two that I've combined for you because they go together. He made the choice to walk in compassion and urgency. He made the choice to walk in compassion and urgency. He made the choice to walk in compassion and urgency. Those two things, especially in the day that we're living in, in which we're living for the grammatical Nazis, have to be a part of your life. If you're going to see the supernatural, I've not seen anybody. I'm, and I'm, I'm just, I'm talking to you from the position of somebody that has been around so many powerful men and women of God. I've seen so many people that have done what God's called them to do successfully. And they've watched as the breakthroughs have happened and they've seen God do what only God can do. I'm not talking about those that have just kind of like floated off into left field. I'm talking about world changers 
I've never met any of them, not one, who didn't have a sense of urgency in their spirit and a compassion for people. Those two things mark, they mark every world changer I've ever seen. Urgency and compassion. They know that their calling is time sensitive. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. They know it's time sensitive. People are dying. People are on the way out and they're not ready to see Jesus. Urgency. But what else? Compassion. A love for people. I think one of the things that's been uh, a negative in our generation, we've been exposed to so much in the media, so many stories that some people have become desensitized to the tragedies of life that are happening all around us. So what happens? Uh, you become apathetic. Pure apathy sets in. You don't care. I've seen so much suffering. I don't care that people are suffering, right? It's on the news. It's in movies. We see people being harmed. We see people being killed. We see people dying. We see people sick. We see it all the time. We read about it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere in our eyes. It's on social media. And the thing that happens to them, if you don't let the Holy Spirit soften your heart, people become apathetic and they just stop caring because it begins to feel, it begins to feel overwhelming. Well, so many people are hurting. What am I going to do to change any of that? I mean, so many people are battling, you know, it's just the way of the world. What am I? And that makes you feel like you're an insignificant part of the world when truly you're a part of the body of Christ that's empowered to make the changes. And the key becomes, I don't just have an urgency. I have a compassion. Let me explain why you have to have them both together. Because if you've got urgency without compassion, you're ready to do something, but you don't care to do it because you don't have any compassion for anybody. You got all this drive and momentum, but you got, you don't have any care. No care for people, the plight of humanity. You don't care. So you've got all this urgency and drive with nothing behind it. So who cares that you've got urgency? It's not going to do anybody any good. But then on the other side, I've seen people, they've got compassion, they love people, but they don't have any urgency in their spirit whatsoever. They just drift through life. You know, I love people. We just want to see the best for people. What are you going to do about it? Well, you know, we're going to get around. We're going to do something. I know one of these days the Lord's going to open a door and we're going to really just begin to love on the people of our city. When? When are you going to do that? When are you going to do that? Urgency is necessary. Not just compassion, urgency. Got to have them together. And Jesus had them together. You know, I, I look at the story. Let me, let me read it to you real quick. Because Jesus refused to put stuff off. He refused. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read this to you and then I'm going to pray for you and let you go eat a, a, a turkey sandwich that's left over from last night. Luke chapter 13. Look at this compassion and urgency together. Luke 13, 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 
He never knew about it. This is the first he's finding out about this. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which we ought to work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed. Not the and Jesus answered him, listen, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? Now look at verse 16, because this is so powerful. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, I mean she had covenant, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Notice what he said. Why would I wait until tomorrow when I could heal this woman right now? You're taking care of animals. And here's a daughter of Abraham, a woman who's in covenant with me and my father. And you want me to wait until tomorrow because it's the Sabbath? You want me to wait till next week? Forget that. She needs help now. Compassion and urgency. I love her. She's in covenant with me. I don't want to see her suffer. So what? I'm going to do something right now. I'm going to do something right now. What brought, what brought about the supernatural there? Well, he already had the Holy Ghost. He'd already fasted and prayed. He already knew who he was in the kingdom. Right? He was already on his purpose. Where was he? In the synagogue on the Sabbath day. What brought this miracle to pass? It was number five. Compassion and urgency. Compassion and urgency. Didn't matter that he knew who he was. Didn't matter that he had the Holy Ghost. Didn't matter that he'd fasted and prayed. Didn't matter that he was on his purpose. If he didn't have urgency and compassion, that woman is going home the same way. Don't get so caught up in life, personal life, that you miss what's going on around you. Be aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit as he's calling you to touch others. If you're in a restaurant, keep your head on a swivel. Look at your waitress. Look at your waiter. They might be struggling. Be able to discern that. Discern that. Talk to them. I mean, my wife has her head on a swivel. I've got mine. We were at a, we were at a, a, a place one time in Alabama, and we were getting ready to go. So we were on our way to Louisiana, and we stopped at this restaurant, and there was this massive table of people eating, probably like, 15 people and they had drinks and everything else. I mean, they were just, and, uh, they paid their bill and left. And, uh, the bus boy came, he was busting the table and he gave the check to the waitress when she came back and we saw her open it and kind of sigh and drop her head. And Carolyn knew like immediately. Now this isn't our table. She's got her head on a swivel. She's watching to see what's going on with people. And the, she, they, she was our waiter also. And she said, um, she came back to the table. She said, I don't want to be nosy. But she said, they didn't tip you, did they? And the lady said, no, they didn't. They paid for their meal and they didn't leave any tip. Now here's a huge table, got her running all over the place. Running all over the place. And so we said, how much was their bill? Oh, well, yeah. 
How much was it? Because we're not just going to tip you for ours and tip you well. We're going to tip you for theirs also. We're going to tip you for theirs. And we hooked that girl up on that day. And that whole feeling of discouragement and that whole feeling, who knows what she was dealing with? Maybe a single mother, maybe children at home needs the money. Don't know, but it struck her hard. And just by that discernment. And she began to like, she was blown away. It allowed her to be opened up. And then we ministered to her. And then we gave her materials that we had with us in the truck and blessed her, gave her the information to stay connected with us. What does it do? One thing, when you have a compassion for people and an urgency to bless right now, it opens the door. It opens the door. And I want to encourage you because we're called to live supernatural lives. Dig in, dig in. See, and it's that, and it, and it is nice. Jesus says it's very nice. It is nice, but more than nice, we're on a mission to be a blessing to our generation. We're on a mission to change the world one person at a time if we have to. We're all called as the body of Christ. Number one, we know who we are. We've got an identity. Number two, we've got the Holy Ghost empowering us and leading us. Number three, we fast and pray to be in position to be used by God. Hallelujah. Number four, we stay on our purpose. I'll not be talked out of it. You'll not be talked out of it. And number five, we've got urgency and compassion that let us move right now. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, that's who you are. That's who you are. You are that person anointed to make an eternal difference in the lives of the people that you meet. That's exactly who you are. You're anointed. You're called by God. You're victorious. Hallelujah. And, and I'll tell you, I know the spirit was moving me in this direction, which is why I want to pray over you. I want to pray what Paul prayed for that church in Ephesus, the prayer that you find in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to ask the Lord to give you a divine revelation at even a greater level of who you are in Christ. Our best days are coming. We've not seen them yet. As I've been preaching, we've not passed this way before. We've not passed this way before. We've not passed this way before in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every Victory Tribe member. I pray for every person watching and listening. Lord, I pray what Paul prayed. Let the eyes of their understanding be enlightened, that they may know the hope of your glorious call and the riches of your inheritance in the saints. Lord, give them a clear picture of who you've called them to be and who you've made them to be. And I pray from this day, those watching, those listening, they would never again doubt who they are, doubt their spiritual identity, that the, the enemy would never again be able to lie to them and to tell them that they're not who you created them to be. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Ghost, not only, we're not just thankful for the filling, Lord, we ask you to refill us and refill us and refill us on a daily basis in Jesus' name. Strengthen us as we fast and pray. But Lord, I thank you that we will never come off of our purpose. We will never be discouraged in the midst of what you've called us to do. We will never receive the lies of the enemy or any person he uses to hinder what we've been called to do. And then Lord, we ask you today, give us a greater sense of urgency and compassion than we've ever had in the mighty name of Jesus. Let our hearts be open to those that are hurting, 
to those that are broken, to those that are in need of a change. And let us have the urgency to minister to them quickly. We thank you for it. And as we do what you've called us to do, we thank you that the blessing is quickly coming back. The blessing is coming back. In Jesus' mighty name, we will increase like we never have. We thank you. We give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I want Draven to put up the uh, lower third for the, um, we're going to give you this opportunity. I'm going to challenge you to sow a seed today. This day after Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for you. No question about it. I'm thankful for every person that God's attached to this ministry. And it's time for us to go higher. It's time for us to go higher. Uh, we've got one more scheduled revival before the end of this year, which starts Sunday. And we're going to be in Murfreesboro, North Carolina. And uh, I don't know if you're close to Murfreesboro. I don't know that Murfreesboro is close to anything. Uh, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. But it's worth the drive because we're going to have a, a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. I'm excited. I've got expectancy in my heart. Starts Sunday. And currently we're scheduled to go through Wednesday and we'll see what God does from there. But all of the details are on the website. And uh, I want to say thank you to every person that's sowing seed into this ministry as we're making moves to change this nation before Jesus comes. And for all of you that would stand with us to partner, maybe you could give a thousand dollars one time. Maybe you could give 5,000, whatever the Lord tells you to do. Maybe you'd stand with us at $85 a month or a hundred dollars a month where you're at. And we want to bless you. My father just released a brand new book on the gifts of the spirit called The Camels Are Coming. And we want to send you this as our gift for this month of November, which is quickly coming to an end. And uh, if you want to receive it, it's a hardcover edition of volume one on the gifts. Go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and you can get a copy of that uh, sent to you. So for those of you that are sewing, you can go to the website miracleword.com. And all the ways to give are right there uh, on the website. And you can see some of them on the screen, as well as Zelle, as well as Venmo, cryptocurrency. There's many ways to do it. And I want to say thank you. Again, don't forget, it is Diversity Friday. It may not be Black Friday, White Friday, Puerto Rican Friday, whatever it is. Let it be what it is to you. Um, <laughs> we've got some amazing things happening in the shop. 50% off of all Miracle Word Kids merchandise. Everything uh, in there, all the gear, all the shirts, everything we've got 50% off, by the way, once again, all the discounts are applied in the cart. And so 50% off all the miracle word kids stuff. Every one of our books is buy one, get one free. So any books you want to get in the store, uh, by the way, all the discounts again, applied in the cart. So you don't have to use a discount code, but buy one, get one free for any of the books. And then also all the merch, Victory Tribe merch is 25% off. It's going quickly, so you got to get it while it's there. And then all the nonstop mom merch is 50% off. And uh, that's all the way from today through Monday. And then on Monday, we're going to have a one extra deal for you before uh, Cyber Monday comes to an end, a completely uh, different thing uh, on Monday. So uh, that's available. But as some people are putting in the comments, the Victory Tribe stuff is going quickly. So... You got to get it while it's, while it's there. Mugs are coming back soon for those that are wondering like you were at the uh, beginning of the broadcast. Victory Tribe Yeti mugs are coming back in the store very soon. I'm looking forward to this new year, man. I'm pumped up. I cannot wait to see 
what God's gonna do. I'm ready for the fast. I'm ready to get into the fast with you guys. Again, I've got some resources I'm preparing for you uh, for the fast, so you're gonna wanna be ready. Ready to roll. Thank you, uh, Tamara, appreciate it. Very much appreciate it. I love you guys. Hope to see you in North Carolina. Uh, start Sunday. If not, I'll see you back in the studio. Have a great, great week. I love every one of you. Ben, I love you. Bonnie, Liz, Tamara, Clarabelle. Love you guys a lot. Once again, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you had a great time with your family. I hope you had great dinners. Better yet, like Ben is doing right now, I hope you're having great leftover turkey sandwiches, which I'm going to go home and get one myself. Uh, I love you, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.